We have an ideology of what normal is. Go and get a job, you might get married, you might have kids, and that's it till you die. What are we here for? Why are we doing all this stuff? Who said that we have to do this by 21? I'm not interested in being neurotypical passing. I go into meetings and I kick butt. I wanted to get ordained. What on earth is going on? It's chaotic. You've created the environment in which you most thrive. That is literally what I've done. <laughs> Is it okay for me to show up as myself? Today's guest has been lighting up your screens for some time. You may have seen her coaching singers on Fame Academy or dishing out words of wisdom on the BAFTA-winning Glee Club. And if that doesn't do it, you'll definitely recognise her iconic red hair. Carrie's the very proud mother of four neurodivergent children and last year published a brilliant book called A Very Modern Family with her partner David. The book shares the ups, downs, tips and tricks of their parenting journey. I really love chatting to Carrie. She's an expert in this space, so passionate and committed to giving back. And we cover loads of ground. Here we go. Let's see how great minds think differently. That's Hi. such a good intro. <laughs> That's the best intro I think I've had. Okay, well, you've you done a lot. covered it. You just covered it. You've done a lot. I have done a lot. It doesn't feel like that's me. No? <laughs> that's Did a, I do all that? I must be very old. <laughs> but you've had these multiple phases, I guess, it seems. Yes. Yeah. And I think, funnily enough, I think that's, if you are neurodivergent, I think that is often a mark of your neurodivergence is that you just shape shift the whole time. You're like, oh, okay, I think I'll do that now. And then you just go and do the next thing. But it's like a... And I, I relate to, in terms of like a constant improvement or a constant yeah. better progress, evolution, yes. keep moving forward. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. So I was diagnosed as autistic this year. We're currently in 2023. How do you feel? Um, I feel great. I mean, I don't feel any different. I'm still yeah. me, aren't I? Yeah. So um, I think one of the things I've noticed is that we have an ideology of what normal is. Someone decided, probably white men in their 50s, decided how it was going to be. And so at 21, when people, if they go to university, they graduate. And it's kind of like, that's your life, really. You then go and get a job. You might get married. You might have kids. And that's it till you die. Whereas I think neurodivergent people are far more interesting because neurodivergent people seem to evolve as they go. They never stop evolving. So that evolution doesn't stop at 21 and become just a little bit boring. It's something else that's, that is developing the whole time. So I would say some of my biggest developments in me as a human have happened since, you know, I'm now 58, probably since I was 40, I think. And I love that. Yep. I'm constantly looking for where's the better me? Where's the more evolved me? What, what happens next? What else might I be good at that I haven't yet looked at? I heard you on a podcast say that you can't wait to be 60 yeah. and 70 and, and 80. 80. Like, what will those decades bring? Yeah. Like, I think that we really don't appreciate the wisdom of age. I think that we think of old people as like, you know, they're probably a bit forgetful. And I'm getting to that point where I, you know, I skip words and I miss words. I'm like, what's that word again? It's a really simple word. However... There is a wisdom that comes and an self-acceptance that comes with age um, that means that you you then have this lovely pot of wisdom to dip into. And, and I love that. And so where, where then are your energy levels in terms of that progress, shape-shifting, for want of a better phrase, like right now, where are you? Energy levels is such a great, that's such a great question. I think for... I mean, I can't speak for autistic people. I can only speak for myself. I know my energy levels rise and dip. Um, I've, I don't know how they rise and dip in terms of I, I've never been able to work that out. Is this a seasonal thing? Is this a career thing? Is this a relational mm -hmm. thing? I'm not sure. I definitely have moments where I just go, I've overstretched. And I think that's probably it. Because I'm really excited about life. So I say yes to everything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Oh my gosh, yeah. Why yes. not do that? Yes. Wow, I'm 56. And then I decide I'm going to go and do an MA when I left school at 15. And then it's really difficult. And I'm thinking, why did I do this? Um, so you're doing an MA now? Yeah. In? In theology. Okay. Through Durham University, Luther King College. And um, 
Why did you decide to do that? Uh, because I wanted to, I wanted to get ordained, and to get ordained, you have to have something more than an O level. Really. <laughs> So, I'm like, and so okay, let's just sign up for that. Backtrack. Why do Why do you want to get ordained? Right. So I've had a church in my house for 14 years. Actual. An actual church. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Full of all the people that don't fit in other churches. Yeah. All the people that get rejected in other churches. Yeah. I'm like, come on over yes. to my house because yes. we're having a party over yes. here. And and so I thought it's great that I'm doing this, but I probably it probably would be beneficial for me to actually officially be some kind of vicar type person so it's it's interesting so you do the ma yeah then you can start the ordain yeah. no i'm doing the ordination now so i can okay, wear my collar now which is a bit weird isn't it i mean it's a bit like cosplaying a vicar <laughs> but um i just have a heart for people i love people and again this is something that perhaps people don't think of autistic mm. people as wanting to be sociable i'm Highly sociable. Okay. My house is like a community centre. And so where do you get your energy from then in, in that sense? Interesting. From That's, an autistic again, perspective. Good question. So I get my energy from two extremes. Okay. I love people. I want them all in my house and I want to chat and listen. And then I absolutely need to be alone, completely alone. Like don't anybody disturb me because my head needs to rest. Yeah. So... I don't really have an in-between. It's either like party, party. Well, it's not a party. It's lots of listening and hearing and getting involved in people's lives. Or or absolute isolation. I need that isolation. I need that space. I can share that space with David, um, my husband. But more often than not, I just need to be alone. So, And I've always been like that. You know, when I first met David and I would go to his house and we'd have dinner parties in his house... And then that just grew. We had dinner parties and then we got married and we'd have like five dinner parties a week because we just love people. Wow. But come 10 o'clock, people would be on dessert and I'd go, all right, I'm going to bed now. Please don't feel like you need to leave. Yeah. And I was known as just the person that walks away from the table because I've never back. been uncomfortable with doing that. Yes. I like, look back now and can see how I was always exit stage left early. Yeah. You know, it was always, I've just, an got, energy thing, I've just right? got to go. Yeah. Like, I, thank you. I've had a lot. It's been such a great night. Yep. But I now just need to be alone. Thanks. Bye. Yes. I didn't, it didn't quest, it didn't even occur to me that I would be judged for that. And so now do you, you it sounds like you were, you felt comfortable and vocal enough to be able to do that then in yeah. terms of when you need that time on your own now. Yeah. I'm guessing that you're even more assertive and vocal because you have more awareness and more understanding of what yes that means for you. Well, yes and no. Okay. I think... But you say yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think moving away from, like, for instance, let's say we we're having a dinner party and I wanted to leave the table, I would now slightly second guess, like, oh, no, I'm doing that because I'm autistic. Oh, no, like, these people don't do this... <laughs> <laughs> no one else does this except me around this table and I'm the odd one out. I was quite, I was like, yeah, probably they would do it as well, but they're just not, yes. you know, they're just not fancying to say it. So yes. I'm fine being the assertive one. It's not that I'm assertive and strong. It's because I'm autistic. But then I've got to complete that cycle and go, it's because I'm autistic and mm -hmm. strong. And that's okay. I, and I'm finding that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eight months in. So I'm still just kind of a little bit worried about judgment, a little bit judging myself yep. and dealing with that internalised attitude of a neuro thinking I'm neurotypical I've got to kind of decolonize my mind into but being completely you, comfortable you're one of the the OGs I would say from like a your family and neurodivergence as part of a family identity and part of parenting mm, yeah and then now you've <laughs> for want of a better phrase joined the club yeah um, yeah, I did say that somewhere in a podcast, and then okay. I thought, "Oh no, that's probably not the right thing to say." I don't know what the club but, is, but the club. Yeah, I'm kind of in in the yeah. club. Yes. Where are you at? I guess in terms yeah. of decolonizing, to use your words. Yeah, I think, I think when it comes to my family, I'm fiercely proud of my children, fiercely proud of my friends and my my people, and many of whom are neurodivergent. I think the hardest thing 
is that I now worry. Like I go into meetings and I kick butt. Uh, when I'm in all those, you know, education, health, social care, I have those meetings. I'm literally on them the whole time for my kids. Yeah. And I'm having to advocate for them when they, you know, perhaps can't advocate for themselves because they're young. Now I kind of think, are they thinking, oh, she's going to be doing this because she's autistic. <laughs> so I'm then having to second guess that. Yes. And then I overthink. That's really tiring. Oh, it sounds really yeah, tiring. Yeah, it is really tiring. I, I'm, I've got to work that bit out just to be confidently owning my space as an autistic person and saying, actually, it's perfectly reasonable that I'm asking for these things. It always was reasonable. I can't think about what other people think about autism. Otherwise, I'm just going to lose my strength, really. I have to I have to just say, be show up as yourself. Mm -hmm. My thing has always been to everyone around me, just show up as yourself. I want you to just be yourself. If you need to, if you need to walk out my house because it's too much for you, fine. Just walk out. I'm like, I'm not going to judge you. Yeah. So I've always had that thing of showing yourself. But I'm kind of like, is it okay for me to show up as myself? Um. I think I've got to work that one through a little bit, but only in certain situations. Only with, only with the dreaded public services that we have to collaborate with. Yeah. I, I want to collaborate and I teach about collaboration. I do loads of public speaking to groups of people that are from those areas, but they still slightly terrify me when I'm in meetings. What do you think society currently thinks about autism? That's a good question. I think that, I think there is a shift. There's definitely a shift. When I think about trying to advocate for girls on the spectrum, which I did for you know, a number of years and really did so much in that area to, to try and get girls more easily diagnosed. And we are seeing a massive shift in that. So I think there's been a really big move. I think there is more people coming out as autistic and people like yourself, you're like, wow, this guy's successful. He does this, has his company and look at what he's achieved. Isn't that great? Um, but I think we need to get beyond that into actually... I think there needs to be a deconstructing of what we have all agreed on as normal. And that to me is the much bigger challenge because that that pulls into empire. Mm -hmm. It pulls into postmodern thinking and, and, and some of those other areas of life that actually the world is since COVID, the world is asking those questions anyway. Yes. What are we here for? Why are we doing all this stuff? Why are we... What do we believe? What do we believe? The, do we believe what the media tell us? All those questions that are now suddenly up in the air. People don't feel quite as safe with whatever normal was. So there is a deconstruction. Young people are incredible. Incredible. I sit with my children's friends and I listen to them speaking while I'm cooking dinner and they're in the kitchen. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people, the future is with these guys because yep. they've got it. That's what we need to move towards. We need to get their thinking in our heads. And they how are. do you think we do that? I guess we have to just keep banging on doors and keep saying, hey, we're here and we're not going away. We're different and, and we celebrate our difference. We don't want to try to be neurotypical passing. I'm not interested in being neurotypical passing. Which, which to clarify, is masking. It's masking and is thinking, Pre pretending. I'll just limit myself. Yes. I'll make myself smaller. Yeah. I, I've never wanted to do that. And now I realise, oh, that's why. So that's great. Let's let's think about that. I've got, I've got a slight suspicion that actually neurotypical people are not so very far away from the neurodivergent. And that's not to say that everybody has, you know, traits, all the silliness that we have around that. But I do believe that neurotypical people do want to be outside the box as well. Perhaps they're not happy in the box either. Who created this box anyway? Yes. Why have, could we not deconstruct the ideology of normal and think about, let's broaden that. Let's just make it that everyone gets included. And what does that look like? You know, but to people that have owned the ground and had the the um have kind of owned the thinking if you like it's going to feel like oppression mm. because to the privileged equality equality feels like oppression right yeah it feels like hang on a minute why am i gonna have to give up my space yes because we we own the space hang on you neurodivergent people how dare you take some space yes but neurodivergent people are not going away people like you are coming and doing businesses and owning your own neurodivergence so and the irony is, is that, you know, people who are listening can't see, but the contributions of neurodivergence to society 
that most people, including myself until a year ago, yeah. I had no idea that, you know, Marie Curie, like life-saving inventions, discoveries, yeah. part of the good aspects of how we communicate, live our lives, yeah. uh, are there because people thought differently. You're absolutely right. And in our education system, what worries me is that if we take the arts out of our uh, curriculum, that's the biggest threat because the creators always create. Creatives are there. And you can be, you might be a creative like me, go on and sing and dance and act and do all that stuff. But actually, if you are super brilliant at maths and statistics and science, the people that will break through and do breakthrough stuff are the people that also have the creativity. So the creative part is important to every kind of entrepreneurial setting that you might find yourself in. The people that are going to have those breaks are going to be the people that think outside the box. Yep. So the arts are fundamental to every area of life. Singing, dancing, acting, painting, writing, all of those things are just things that pour out of us. So we, well, I just feel like we need to encourage that way more. They are in that. It, it's very simply self-expression, whether that's science, music, art, maths, English, whatever. It's, yeah. it's something that you enjoy and therefore is a way of you telling the world and expressing yourself to say, hey, this is this is a bit of me that yeah. I'm putting out into the world. I was I stopped art at 10 and at 30 I learned I could draw really, really well. Wow. And Gosh, you're kind of like 20 missed years. Yeah. And did your creative did your creativity come out in some other way though? It came out in <laughs> being naughty. And Interesting. that's you have to be quite creative to be naughty and <laughs> get away with it sometimes. Um, and then sport, sport was, sport was everything being yes. outside and free as I saw it. Yeah. Um, I think sport and the arts are very, very close. I've lost count of the number of m major artists who said, well, I was either going to be a singer or a footballer. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. footballers or, uh, you know, sports people that play guitar and want to sing and want to come for lessons. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about singing and music from an autistic sensory mm. perspective because I I absolutely love music and I love sound and I've got really amazing hearing that I didn't realise I had. I thought my wife had absolutely dreadful hearing. <laughs> so I used to pester, you need a hearing test, you need a hearing test, you can't really? hear me. And it turns out that I just, she has normal hearing. And I have really, really good hearing and, and yes. music plays this role in my life that, I don't know, it's an escape. It's I like listening to things on repeat. I like singing. Yeah. I cry only when I'm singing. Yeah. And I just, your I career that. obviously is is so entwined with voice yeah. in the biggest sense of the word. Yeah. And I just wondered what what singing and music like sounds like to you gosh i'm i think there's there's so much to explore when it comes to the voice i think the voice our voices are the representation of who we are so our voices are really important and one of my aims always as a coach is to not kind of have sausage factory singers that's always been i think like who are you let's go let's go excavating together and let's find out what's your true voice what what does it sound like how do you access that and how do you let it out so that that's always my aim as a coach is to help that person so it doesn't really matter whether they're going to go and be a pop star or not it's really about just who are you and how does that get represented in your singing so i think in terms of the voice, being able to sing is something that's, wow, what an incredible gift. The ears are really interesting that you talk about ears because what you're talking about there is the ability to hear and you hear really well. But you're also hearing on a different level. It's not just about that your ears are good. Mm. I don't think my ears at this age are particularly good. But if I'm listening to a choir, if someone is out of tune... I feel uncomfortable. Really? And I work with discomfort. What an amazing autistic yeah, gift. Yeah. I've never knew that till this year. Like, oh, that's that's why I'm a good coach because I'll watch a singer and everyone will be going, whoa, they're amazing, aren't they? <laughs> and they might be singing like, you know, Whitney Houston, amazing Aretha, you know, great riffs and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why am I uncomfortable? And then I have to go, 
just digging within myself. Why am I uncomfortable? I know why it is because, yeah, your riffs are great, your voice is great, you're very beautiful and you're standing there, but you don't believe what you're singing. Why don't you believe? What you're, that's why it's not connecting. Okay. And that's why I physically hurt when you sing. So let me just work through why you're not connecting to the song. And then it will make me ask questions like, what happened here? What, what, where's your trauma? What's happening? Because there's a lyric in here that you are just avoiding connecting to and I feel it because I'm not feeling the tears. Mm. I'm feeling uncomfortable. So that, it's a great thing to be able to work with. What an amazing gift. I, I now appreciate being autistic so much. I'm like, whoa. So maybe neurotypicals don't do that. I, that's yeah. never occurred to me that they might not do that. I thought I was just the same as whatever normal was. But that's so, in you. That's, that's not in, that's not in a handbook. Event, invent that. Uh, what you can do is tune into it, and which over the years as a coach, like if I've done a day's coaching, I sit at the dinner table and the fridge is annoying me and the <laughs> lights are annoying me because my ears have tuned into like the microscopic ways of thinking. So I really get the the, the noise thing for me is a problem, but it's also tuning into lis deep listening, which then transferring that onto how I listen to my children, what they're saying. I'm like, hang on, you've said that, but the words are one thing, but your tone is another thing and what's coming off you is another thing. And I'm tuning into all of that. So I think hearing is more than just how our ears work. Yeah. So I so agree with you with, with music. Music makes me cry. Music makes me joyous, ecstatic. Music spurs me on. Music stops me in my tracks. There is something about music and I feel music. So I feel rhythm before I hear melody. So okay. I, when I'm listening to music, it's just, and I realize now why, you know, we didn't have stim toys when I was young, but I, I have inward stims and so my mouth, my tongue, my jaw is all going with the rhythm of music, Amazing. even when music isn't playing. Like David and I both have the same thing. I, it, and this was only about five, we've been together 37 years. I'm like, do you have music in your head the whole time? He's like, yeah. We asked other people, do you have music in your head the whole time? They're like, no. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what do you do? Like what's in your head if you don't have, there's a soundtrack going the whole time. Yes. For me. But you can yeah. use, you know, I, I can use music to switch off to. Yes be totally immersed Focused in a sound. Yeah. Because uh, it cuts off the other sounds, right? It cuts off the other sounds. So if I'm sitting in a favourite place, like an Excel spreadsheet, looking at numbers or, yeah. I don't know, designing stuff, then, yeah, it just it cuts out everything else. Yes. And allows me to just really focus. It's a bit like in here, in this room. Yes. It's just us. Yes. And it's just our voices. And although I can hear what's going on out there. Me too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can hear people Which talking. is not loud yeah. and no, not ridiculous. it's there. It's there. Um, and now I can hear it even more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I have that when I'm doing radio and the news comes on and I say to our producers and the assistants, guys, you need to keep the sound down because it must be coming over the newsreader's mic because I can hear it. Yes. And you're, we're all between like masses of doors and sheets of glass away and yep. soundproofing. This is a BBC. Yep. But I'm hearing it. Over, I can hear people laughing in the back of the news. So then what, that's great on hearing. What about sight? How visual are you? What, you know, what role does that play? I don't think as much as hearing. I, I, the only thing I would say is sight must play a role because during lockdown, vocal coaching, I could not vocal coach because I can't feel the person in the room. Okay. So Zoom for me is, you know, Microsoft Teams, all those platforms are really difficult for me. I, I can't read nearly as well. I have to use a totally different set of skills because I'm then on, I can't see the whole person. I'm not feeling them. I'm hearing it in a different way. Uh, David just got on and did all the coaching because I, I, I just couldn't do it. Okay. So that that requires like physical visual. Yes, physical visuals. Yes. Yeah, so then I must be using my sight in some way. I think the only the one that I'm most aware of is just my ears. That will be the thing. I've only allowed myself to put my hands on my ears in the last year. I've realized how much I've needed to do that. Like 
when David talks, he, he's got ADHD. Well, he, he's undiagnosed ADHD. That's why we're a perfect match. Yes. Because he's chaotic and I'm all lined up. Um, <laughs> and he's really laid back and I'm really nervy. Um, but yeah, he talks really loudly and sings really loudly. Okay. And I'm like, carry on singing. He's <laughs> like, you've got your hands over your ears. I'm like, it's great. I can hear you. Just not as loudly. Just the volume <laughs> just the button on your volume. ear. Let's just turn that down. Can we use our down. inside voice, please? Yes. Everybody. My daughter, though, our, our four-year-old, has just moved to noise-canceling headphones. And we, you know, I asked her why. Why does she, why does she want them and why is that yeah. better? Because it cuts out everything else. Yes. You know, it cuts out all of the other background the noise. The extraneous stuff. Yeah. Because there is a lot of, like, our world is pretty noisy. Yes. And we're constantly, you know. Our talk- minds are noisy minds as well. Are it's noisy. like intrusive thinking. Yes. So I realise I have a lot of intrusive thinking, which I just block. I just block that. But it's there. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> And if I'm tired, there it is. Yes. <laughs> and if I'm really tired, there it is. And so, what have you learned works in terms of remo- or stopping that, quietening the, it? Oh, good question. The most important thing with intrusive thinking is to acknowledge, okay, this is intrusive thinking. It's it's going to accuse me. It's going to downgrade me. It's going to say horrible things to me sometimes. Not always, but sometimes yep. that's there. And just like, okay, that's an intrusive thought. That That's not true. Because I have a very good sense of truth as well, which I think is an autistic thing. Moral right? compass. Real true north. Yep. So I can very easily just go, no, nah, I'm not having that. That's not true. You said, and, and I love this, that you want to sit at the feet of people who really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you like saying that. I mean, I, I listen, like listening to you and David talk, you you both use analogies a lot and that for me as a listener I absolutely love because it instantly makes it visual and it instantly helps me understand it because yeah. it's a really simple way of yeah doing David that. is like king of the anecdote okay. <laughs> you can't spend five minutes with David you're going to be there five hours <laughs> yeah it's like he's got all of his Jamaican storytelling heritage along with his just love of talking an ADHD. So it's just, yeah, it's a series of stories. How does a how does a family meal conversation go then? It's chaotic, a dinner with us. I think because primarily there are six of us when we, if we particularly go out to dinner, um, everyone will have something different. So buffet restaurants are brilliant. Everyone gets to choose what they want. <laughs> yeah. No one has to get it from the menu and be disappointed because you picked the food and put it on your own plate. So that's a good thing. We have Arlo, who's 17, who uh, who has ADHD and is autistic. So Arlo will invariably need to leave the table after a 45 minutes. Okay. So That's for, pretty good. Yeah, for many years we had to rush dinner. Now we've worked out that we have to go to places where there's a garden or somewhere that Arlo can just go off and walk. It's like, yeah, leave the table, fine. Or go and sit in the car and listen to music for 20 minutes and then come back. Now they're 17, they can do that. When they're younger, yes. it's way harder. Yes. Um, because the older ones want to hang out a bit longer and they love chatting. And So I think it's just meeting the needs of each person around that table and like during lockdown we had the best time it was just brilliant it felt like our little village really worked without all of the outside judgment of 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 the world going on we just got on and everyone kind of slipstreams each other's needs quite naturally sometimes one person's needs trigger the other person's issues so that sometimes I do feel like I'm a referee and then the relationship, like your children sound amazing. They're I genuinely incredible. think they know, are like and I, and I, the most phenomenal humans. Yeah. And the more they explore their identity and have autonomy and control over their lives and choose their lives, and you have to allow them, steer them in the right direction, like a little bit of shepherding here and there. But apart from that shepherding, it's about them, their autonomy, who they are. Who are you? Let's work out this. Let's do this together. I love that. That to me is the best way of parenting these children. 
I was expecting neurotypical children. I was expecting that I would do X, Y, and Z. And I would have been very good at that because I'm quite obedient and compliant. I would have done everything you're meant to do, but it wasn't going to work for these kids. It really wasn't. And so we had to find new ways of getting their magic out. And I, and I think that for me, it's excavation, it's exploring, it's finding out who they were meant to be before the world got to them and told them who they should be. So I'm still trying to get back to zero yep. in a way. It's like, let's get back to, like, this is who you were created to be. Yep. This is a wonderful, you've got a story to write here about yourself. This is great. And so it's just watching them find their way their agency and their sense of self and who they are. I mean, what could be better than that? That's That, to me, is the joy of being a parent. I, I, I love parenting for that. So a very modern family obviously explores all of those relationships, the difficulties, the skills to be a family of today, which is immensely powerful. Uh, and Just it's sort of with multi intersections. Oh, right? with yeah, Just with like all we the have layers, race, gender, sexuality, neurodivergence. All of that is sitting in my children. What I take from it and hearing you speak is everything. And this is the sad bit: is about trying to get back to everyone being themselves, oh gosh, yeah. just being allowed to be themselves. We shouldn't be getting back to something. Maybe we never have had that actually, and maybe this is super naive, super idealistic thinking that. Everyone can just be themselves. <laughs> right? Wouldn't but, that be wouldn't that be something? That would be something completely different. But, if you were able to it's be so yourself. So bad that that is something completely different. You know, that shouldn't be something completely different. That. And also, you know, being able to be yourself, we know that it's one thing just to sit on your own in a room on your own and become yourself or being in a very small environment. But the minute you go to school, you have all these challenges of, okay, everyone's got to be themselves. So how do we live together? How do we make community? You know, the opposite of belonging is not not belonging. The opposite of belonging is fitting in. And that's what I feel my children have had to do. So what they do is you have this lovely young life, you know, age one to four, they're just, they're beautifully themselves. They're just in a very safe environment. They go to school and then it's a challenge. And then school traumatizes our children. And therefore, not only have you got to try and develop your child into and help them to be who they are, but then you've got trauma on top of that. And that's then super challenging. And then if you have an adopted child, they come with trauma. They arrive with trauma. You're trying to do your work and then the world brings even more trauma. And then it's layers and it's multi-layered to try and to find that child that was meant to be. Like, who are you? With all of the things that have happened to you, you, you can't go back. You're absolutely right. But you can move forward. And those bits of your life that have been challenging become part of your story. Um and you find poignancy. For me, one of the things with when I did trauma therapy, I went to trauma therapy to try and help my adoptive son. I was like, I know what I need to do. I'm going to find out more about trauma. And the therapist said, oh, well, come on your own the first time. <laughs> Three years later. <laughs> I was like, okay, can we just talk about me? Um, that was really, but, but finding poignancy, coming to a point of, yeah, that did happen. Let's not deny it. That's what happened to you as a child. And yeah, we've got ways. Let, let's sit with that. Let's not disassociate. Let's just sit with that and, you know, put love into that child, love that child, see where that, see what that child, have compassion for that child and find poignancy. Those things did happen, but they're not who I am now. And can you tell me what those things were? Yeah, well, things like um, sexual abuse as a child, uh, my parents divorcing, which actually loads of kids grow up with just one parent. But back in the 60s, early 70s, I was the only child in my class with divorced parents so you know on that monday morning where everyone went to the desk and gave their 60 pence dinner money mm. and you didn't get to do that walk because you had free school meals all of those things begin to make a composite picture for you and then my mum had a boyfriend who became um well, paranoid schizophrenia, he had through a car accident. And so he was then trying to kill my mum. So we then were in and out of police stations for about two or three years. And I didn't know if my mum would, would uh, be killed. So that was a really, really unsafe situation to be in. Then my mum remarried when I was 13. 
And life then became a little bit better mm. uh, because my stepdad was wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, but those early life experiences, they they don't go away. They are the fabric of who we become. But not all of that has to be negative. And I think that's that's something, again, I'm not quite sure how neurotypicals think because obviously I know I'm autistic now. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's always been logical to me that you would, you'd need to work that stuff out. You need to put that to bed, make peace with it. Um, don't bury it, but yeah. but but it can it sits there and it's part of your past and um, it can it can make for some really fruitful stuff in the future as well. People that have been through trauma quite often achieve great things. Yeah, and I I subscribe to that in the sense of out of the pain yeah. and from the pain and because of the pain, great resilience yes. and great drive. And... Absolutely. And, but I think one of the things we then have to work at is how to navigate success because no one teaches you how to navigate success, really. Yep. And I think those things are those things are hard because for many of us, I don't know about your, your story, but I know for me, you know, wanting to be successful, I was so driven and so, you know, finding adulation from a crowd of people, it really doesn't hit the spot you think it's going to hit the spot but it doesn't you've still got to lay down on the pillow mm. and put your head on the pillow at night and you're still the same person and so there's a lot that you have to work through to do with your ambition ambition is great but to truly enjoy success you have to like yourself i think also you've it's personally un understanding what the success is so where are you yeah, where are you aiming for? The, yes. the success factor for me is being able to express myself. Yeah. And if I can express myself and I create, yeah. then I'm free. Yeah. And that's that's whatever, whether I, I don't know, made a table, it doesn't really matter what happens to the table. I so agree. So for me, I sit at my piano and I sing every day. There's no audience. It's not selling units. It's not being streamed. It's just me. Yeah. Just me and the piano and God. And yep. there we are. And that's my, that's, those are my happy, that's my happy place. Yeah. And that's, I, I, you know, we live in a society, obviously, that sort of, we have these ideals of what success is and therefore what we should be striving for and what, ki uh, what kids should look up to and therefore what the pressures come in when you don't get to that and when you can't reach those levels. And by the age of 21. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> like who said, who put that, who said that we have to do this by 21. Yep. Why can't you just develop something? My father, who left school at 12 and was an absolute mess up, right? At 56, uh, decided to go to Bible college. He then, at 58, became a missionary. He then went and lived in Sierra Leone. He was there for five years and died in Sierra Leone of malaria. And he's buried in Sierra Leone. And I look at my dad's last few years of his life. He knocked it out of the park. <laughs> He just brought, he brought it. He brought his game right late on. And why can't we do that? I love stories of people who do stuff later on. They, those mm. stories really spur me on because you've done what you've done at a really young age. Who knows what you might be dreaming of in 10 years time? Oh my gosh. It could be something, the best is yet to come. There could be the something really exciting around the corner that makes you feel even more satisfied and amazing and fulfilled. Yes, and, and fulfilled is exactly the right word. It's, it's, it is a fulfillment exercise of feeling nourished by ultimately being able to be yourself and then being able to express yourself. Yes. Those, those two things are, are huge, which is where I, I worry about schools and I worry yes. about the environment in which, you know, the next generation are growing up in because on the one hand as you said at the beginning there's a bit more awareness now around neurodivergence and you it's know it's not nearly enough not like, enough literally i'm sorry but it's we're still at okay so when you go to school oh we've got an autistic kid coming into our class let's make sure it's not too loud that the you know let's look at the sensory profile there's nothing about how does this person express themselves? I mean, that's such a, you've used that phrase. It's such a good phrase. How do we express ourselves? You know, what make, what, where is the sweet spot? 
And for neurodivergent people, there is pretty much nothing at school that helps them to hit the sweet spot unless they are the type of autistic person that loves stats and numbers and they're like, maths for me. You know, for, for those, you know, the more geeky autistic people, mm. yeah, they, they've got it going. They'll, they'll manage to get through school. They probably won't have any friends, but they'll, or they'll have one friend who's also a geek yeah. and they get through school and that works. But for those of us who... That it, we're sociable and we want to find different ways of expressing ourselves. School is not working for kids right now. I don't, I'm not sure who it works for, really. But I'm not really sure that the the sort of medical healthcare community. I, I feel like we've got our our sort of compass wrong or our our aim wrong in the sense that let's let's try and make people normal and stamp out difference yep. and quell. Agreed. desires yes. and people expressing expression. themselves. It's expression. So what we're saying is if we can just give you some ear defenders, then you might be like the rest of the kids in the class. Like, why are we aiming? What is yep. this rest of the kids in the class thing anyway? What is this ideology of normal? We have got to switch that up. And it feels like education of all places is the last bastion of whatever that normal thing is. But what it's designed for the mass. It's yes. designed for the mass and I get it, right? You can't have a class of 20 children and 20 teachers. You know, I, I, I do I do get it. But I also just, I, and I don't think the answer for what it's worth is separation. It's like Agreed. we cannot have two education systems. You know, we can't have double the amount of schools. I agree. So and I have a child in an autism segregated. school, okay. flourishing in an autism school. But my child has got to be integrated back into the world at some point. And that worries me because we can't live in a separate world. Segregation is not the answer. There has to be a way, which is why I think we wrote our book, A Very Modern Family, because of that. Because we're like, we literally represent loads of stuff in our family and we're all getting on. We're yes. all all right. Yes. Like, and we've spread that out and we then have gone, let's see what happens if we do a church in a house. And then, you know, loads of people come to that. And then... What about a community group that's for autism families and then 200 families are part of that? Yeah, so then you're like, actually, we're forming communities. So and neurotypical people quite often love those communities. There are plenty of neurotypical people in those communities. and they're more One in that. five, right? One in five people, it's believed, are neurodivergent. And I guess part of the reason, you know, a, to have to talk to people like you and B, to do the charity and the podcast in the first place was just wanting to ironically normalise being different. Yeah. And thinking differently. Absolutely. And neurodivergence. Thank you that you're doing this because it's so it's so very important. Because it isn't we weird. It. It's not weird. It's not weird. And it's not weird to us because we're autistic. But well, I bet I bet neurotypical people love hanging out with you. I bet you they're like Oh, we love Ben. He's just like, <laughs> he's got his mind, the way his mind works. It's such a thing of beauty. It's wonderful. I literally pre-diagnosis thought that autism was very weird, all the Rain Man type connotations. Yeah. And and also thought, well, God, I, I like to think I sort of got my finger on the pulse and I feel, mm. and I'm very open-minded and uh, I'm very curious, so I like knowing about people and what's going on in the world. Mm. But I had no idea just how ignorant my beliefs were around not just autism, but ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia, yeah. Tourette's, you name it. Also, we end up with internalised phobias, don't we? Against And that against ourselves is one of the most dangerous things because you're hating on yourself Yes, if you have those opinions. And I've seen that with race. I've seen my children working out. So what colour am I? Where do I fit? Mm. I've watched them do that. And many mixed race children and, and black children go through that and brown children. Um, I've watched my children go through their sexuality and gender. And to live as your true self is, that to me is freedom. That is the answer, is to be allowed to live as who you truly are and to not be embarrassed about who you truly are, to not be ashamed. Shame is like so unhelpful, isn't it? It's so toxic. Like it literally is the appendix of the mind. 
It's, it's, it, where does it get you? It's not like shame drives you to something wonderful. It doesn't. It just makes you feel like rubbish. Yeah. Even when you're successful, shame will bite you on the bum. You know, shame is of no use. So finding who you truly are and not being embarrassed about that or ashamed is, for me, that's the definition of freedom. To find that, to find that for yourself. Um, but it, it will involve changing the way you think. But it involves the environment, you know, it involves society, right? It's sort of mindset. You can do half and take the steps. Yeah. Society's also got to create the environment and oh infrastructure. And I feel as a parent, before I knew about my own autism, and I was always talking about my, you know, I've only ever talked about my children, which is, you know, I'm trying to prepare the world for my kids and prepare my kids for the world. How do I make those two match? Because at the moment they're not matching up. Yeah. And that is, that's why more of us need to, things like this podcast needs to be out there because the world needs to know. And not just, I mean, great, our neurodivergent community will be, you know, drinking this stuff up, but we really need, for the non-neurodivergent people, yep. we need all diversities to be listening so that they can understand, oh, that's that's a conversation between these two people. They're, that's so interesting because they, they sound like me. Yes. Let them realise there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, and that it's okay to think that you might relate to that that it's okay to take those first sort of thought starters of like i recognize that yeah. in me and there might be something without shutting learn. it down straight yes. away and going but no but no and then rationalizing it away i think we have so many uh, like people in our our group that we meet with you can come from families where they don't want to know you can be partnered with someone who doesn't want to know who who is negative the one thing i would say is that for parents we've got to work this stuff out because our children will know if we're ashamed of them yeah that's i'm not i'm not trying to shame anyone with that because that's also not going to help you but to encourage people to process their thinking so that they can come to a place where they they don't see their children as less than they see their children as world changers my yes. children are world changers because yep. everywhere they go, they're changing the world. Yep. Everywhere they go, that people meet them and encounter them, you're changing people's mindsets. Yes. Change the way you think. This is such a great, such a great word. The world tomorrow can be exactly the same with a total perspective shift. So if someone's listening or watching and maybe there's bits they identify with, but they're not sure... What would your advice be? Well, first thing is Google is free. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Go and look it up. Yep. There's lots out there now and not all of it's negative. Yes. It used to be you put autism into a you know search engine and everything that came up was just like doom. <laughs> Terrible for people that just got diagnosis. Um, I think there's plenty of really positive stuff out. There's loads of stuff online, loads of people making reels every day, TikToks and posts that are showing a broad spectrum of, of, of neurodivergence. And, and there's, there's, it's easy to get yourself educated. If you've got a phone, you can get yourself educated. I think that if you think I'm not just a little bit like these two talking, I'm a lot like <laughs> them, uh, I really relate, then I would suggest if you want to, when you're ready, think about having an assessment. It might be worth just booking an appointment with your GP anyway, because you can always cancel it. And we know that it takes years to get yep. that assessment to, to come up. But I think for many people, when they get their autism diagnosis at a later age, it can be a little bit devastating because you look back and you cry for that little, we talk about that inner child, you yep. cry for that little child that was rejected, that didn't have friends, and there was a reason for that. I think you need time to process that and grieve for why things haven't always worked out. Lots of people that are autistic, by the way, work better when they work for themselves. One of the things that was said to me when I got my diagnosis was you've created the environment in which you most thrive. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so deep. That is literally what I've done <laughs> with my life. Mm. This is why life works. Life does work for me. I yeah. have a great life. But because I don't put myself into those places or positions or situations where I'm going to feel unsafe. Find the environment in which you most thrive. And then live that life. Yes. Max it out. Yep, go for it. What's next? What's next? I don't know. I'm in a little bit of a 
what on earth is going on <laughs> season at the moment. We've done the book. I'm yeah. studying theology, so I've got my dissertation this year. That's going to be interesting. I'm still doing radio, lots of radio, bits of telly. Um, I think the thing that floats my boat is transformation. It always has been as a coach. That's what I'm about, transforming, helping people to be transformed in whatever way. So I love vocal coaching, but I only love vocal coaching if it leads to transformation. I just don't, you know, there's a lot I probably need to step back from okay. and move towards, you know, I'm 58 now, move towards solely doing the stuff that makes a difference. I want to make a difference. But you are easy on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're yeah. right. You know, I when you I talk am. about churches, community groups, supporting 200 people, yeah. the book, your voice in the media, which yeah. look, I, I can imagine that 100% of the time you're not just talking about vocal coaching and singing. I rarely right? talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. So making it, making a difference, knocking it out of the park so that someone behind you can, you know, I love this concept of the next generation walking through arches, arches where there used to be doors. Yeah. They're not even aware there were doors yeah, there. Yeah, lovely. My generation was trying to bash down that door. And I love this idea of concept of arches. I just want there to be mm. arches everywhere that people just go, yeah, wow. Someone went before me. I'm standing on the shoulders of someone, Lorna Wing or whoever in the autism world or whoever in vocal coaching, all the different areas that my life touches on. There were people that went before us. And I appreciate those people. You know, let's let's be the shoulders for the next next gen, really. Let's make some changes. Let's do it. Thanks so much, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Oh. Oh, I've so enjoyed this yeah. and I could... Great. I love what you're about. Thank you. Likewise. I wanted to ask if yes. you can put your book on our wonderful oh, oh my cabinet or shelves thank of neuro-spicy contributions. Yeah. Thank you. I'm honoured to have a little space there. Hopefully this will be full, very, very full by the time we finish with it. Mm. You've been listening to The Hidden 20%. If you're still knocking about, then let me introduce you to the band. First up, main man on the mic, host Ben Branson, our wonderful producer, Bella Neal, and the man who'll probably try and cut this bit, video editor, James Scriven. Not forgetting our wondrous theme tune by Jackson Greenberg. Lovers or haters, we want to know, so be sure to leave a review wherever you're listening. For the lovers amongst you, you'll find us on TikTok and Instagram at Hidden20Podcast or over on Hidden20.org where you can join our mailing list. <laughs>